you know, in, in this issue of giving, you know, we've been doing uh, the membership and how we've said, you know what, we've kind of wiped out the whole membership roster and say no one's a member anymore and we're redoing our, our membership to see who's really on board and we've been going through this kind of checklist to say, hey, this is what it means to be a member. It means you do this, 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 all, all, all the while saying, really, it just means you love God and you love your neighbor as yourself. But if you've been following along, you know that this week is when we talk about giving. Now, the thing is, is I've already spoken about giving this year. Um, we did a four-part series on giving, which we've never done. And so I just thought, I don't want to talk about giving again, because honestly, I spoke about it for four weeks in a row, and I, I felt like I covered everything. So I went through my notes and said, okay, was there anything at all that I left out of those four weeks? Because that's a long time. And I realized I really didn't leave anything out except the most important thing. Good job. Which, is, uh, which was the motivation of giving, which is love. You know, and I say this is the most important thing because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3, he says, he says this, even if I give everything I possess to the poor, even if I gave everything to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, he says, if I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Okay, that, that's a pretty important verse. I mean, he's saying if someone stood up here and said, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I, everything I own, my house, my cars, my, my, my bank account, everything I've been saving for retirement, I'm going to give it all away today and go back to zero and God will take care of me. Okay, imagine if someone decided to do that today. You'd think, wow, that's huge. Just everything, you let go of it all. I mean, what a, what a reward that person's going to get in heaven, right? Well, Paul says, no. Not unless that was motivated by love. Because even if I give everything I possess to the poor, he goes, if I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Sure, those people will be helped by it. They'll still gain from it. But I myself, I get no reward for that. There's no gain to that. Because God, God sees love as so important that he says, if you even give without love, it's, it's meaningless, it's pointless, it doesn't, it doesn't profit you any. There's no reward in that for you. If you're just mechanically doing it or doing it out of guilt, I want you to do it out of love, he says. Paul makes that statement, he says, if I give everything I possess to the poor, but then he also says, and if I surrender my body to the flames. What does he mean by surrendering his body to the flames? Most likely he's referring to martyrdom. You know, like in the Old Testament, remember uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the whole idea of throwing them in that fiery furnace. You know, people being burned to death. Many people have been burned to death. Thousands and thousands of Christians for believing in Jesus. In, in fact, uh, shortly after the Corinthian, Corinthian uh, letter was written, in around 60, it's either 62 or 64 A.D., yeah, do you remember an emperor by the name of Nero? I mean, you don't remember him, but from history... Um, you know, the, the idea of Nero, Nero, uh, Nero used to take Christians and he would cover them with pitch, tar type of stuff, and light them on fire, and that's how he would uh, illuminate his, uh, his gardens at night. Every night, just bring in some more Christians and they just, you know, let's just get a pile of them and just light them on fire because he wanted to send a message that you, you don't follow Jesus Christ. Don't you dare follow this Jesus Christ. I'll kill you. And it was this, this cruel type of torture of a burning to death that Paul says, look, 
It doesn't matter. Even if I give everything I possess to the poor, then I say, okay, go ahead and kill me for believing in this Jesus. You know, cover me with this tar and, and burn me to death. He says, if it's not out of love, even all that sacrifice profits me nothing. So love is huge. You know, people say, well, well how much do I have to give? You guys, it's not about a number. But let me ask you this. If I could convince you this morning, if I could open up God's Word to you right now, think this through, if I could open it up and convince you that God has commanded us to give at least 50% of everything we have and everything we receive to the poor. If I could convince you to where you read it, you know, and I show you the verses and you go, oh, you're right, it is at least 50%. That is what God commands. Would you do it? Think it through. Would you do it? For those who don't know math, that's half. Okay? That's just, I'll take half of everything I receive, everything I have, and give it to poor, because this morning Francis just showed me from Scripture, I read the Scriptures myself, I checked up, and it is at least 50%. If I could prove that to you this morning, my question is, is would you do it? Would you find a way to give half of it away and say, all right, that's what God says, that's what I'll do? Honestly answer that question. Because if you answer it no, the, the issue isn't about money, the issue is about lordship. You've got some bigger issues than monetary issues. It, it's, it's do you, have you ever really just submitted and said, okay, God, whatever you say, I do. You're the authority. You're the leader. I'm the follower. Have you ever really accepted Him as Lord of your life? You know, we throw that word around. Lord, that means boss. And if boss says, hey, 50%, you go, okay, 50%. If he has 70%, okay, 70%. You're the boss. You're the master. You're the Lord. You're the master. You see, now the truth is, is God doesn't ask for 50%, okay? So you guys, were, you guys were worried about that, you know. But honestly, I think that what he's called us to is, is greater than that. Because again, his standard is not a percentage, his standard is love. This is, this is way bigger, I, I really mean this. This is a much, much heavier burden in some ways. Because he commands us to love. Now I'm going to show you a slide, okay? And let me ask you a question. His standard, he tells me, I need to love her. Okay? This is a girl I took a picture of in Lira. That's, that's one of the refugee uh, areas for, in northern Uganda. You know, basically, you know, her, she you know, ran for her life away from the rebels. I don't know how she got there. Maybe, you know, a parent's still alive or, or, a, or a sibling is still alive. But basically, she's here. No clothes, no food, no shelter. There she is in Lira. Now, my question is, Let's imagine, just pretend right now, that you are madly in love with her, that specific girl, okay? Let's just say you're crazy about her. You absolutely love her. If that were true, if you were madly in love with this girl, what would you do for her? Just go ahead and say things out loud. If you just were madly in love with her, what would you do for her? Take her home, take her home, home, okay? Invite her to your house? Right on. Feed her? 
Yeah? Okay. All right. <laughs> Give her shelter. What'd you say? Hot dog? Uh, uh, yeah, whatever I do for myself. Okay, what else? Tell her about Jesus, right on. Teach her the gospel. Cool. Hug her. Hold her. Hug her. Take care of her. Love her. Give her a Bible. Donate what? Donate stuff to her. That's so cool when you hear the kids. You know, seriously. I mean, just just a few comments from the kids and the purity, you know, and and uh, you know, even even my girls, you know, sometimes they just they just see it and they get it and they go, well, well, why don't we move there and we'll we'll live where she is and, and let her have more house, you know? It's just no, honey, you know, but it, it's it's just, uh, but but it is. It's just there's a purity of it, of this sim- simplicity. That's why the, you know Jesus talks about that. He says, you know, you got to have the faith. Like a child that says, well, if I love, this is what I would do. Of course I'd invite her into my house and give her my stuff. I mean, if I, was, if I loved her like myself, and, and I think, yeah, you know, I try to write down, okay, if I really love this girl, what would I do? Well, I'd be concerned about her eternity. I'd want to spend eternity with her. You know, I, I would tell her about God and tell her about how she can put her hope in this God. And here's the thing. The, the thing, too, is... Matthew 6.33 promises us, it's one of those verses we learn in Sunday school, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then what happens? Then all these things shall be added unto you. God promises that if we seek Him first, and His, his kingdom first, and His righteousness first, then He's going to take care of all of our provisions. That's what that passage is talking about, what we wear, what we eat. So I can tell that girl, gosh, if you trust in Jesus... He promises, and he's, he's so much greater than I can provide for you, but God promises he'll provide. So I'd want her to have that relationship with God, you know, because God promises he'll, he'll provide for her. And then on top of that, I would love to be the vehicle through which God provides for her and say, you know what, and God has sent me, and I want to feed you, and I want to clothe you. And, you know, immediately, like every service, same thing. What would you do for her? they go, I'd take her home. I'd bring her over. And, uh, and that's, that's awesome. You know, that, that's great. But, uh, you know, also you have to realize by bringing her over, it's a huge process. You know, in, in, in some ways, it's, it's next to impossible right now with these kids to get them here. And if you did, it would cost thousands and thousands of dollars. And then you realize, okay, with the thousands of thousands of dollars, I could have used that same money and fed hundreds of them and had their own local pastors, you know, enable them to go and, and care for them. And that's kind of what we do through Children's Hunger Fund. That's why we give such a, a chunk to them is because, you know, we've set, we, we set up a feeding program to the refugees where the local pastors get the money from us to buy the food to then go distribute it and then come back with accountability to prove to us that the food really went to them. But they not only give them food, but they build relationships and teach them the Word of God as well. And so, but, but here's the thing. Okay, we made this question, you know, this whole, okay, if you loved her, if you were crazy about her, do you understand that's the standard God's called us to? It's for us in this room to not say if, but to say, oh yeah, of course I love her. I love her like myself. That's what I'm called to do. That's what a Christian is. And do you understand how that's even a bigger burden than saying I'll give 30, 40, 50% of my income? It's like, no, I'm committed to love. That's huge. 
You see, it, it's, it's not a matter of figuring out a, a, a number, because I'm saying if you had a heart, if you love them, you know what, then you're going to naturally just do whatever it takes. Take care of her. And that's what God's called us to. You can go ahead and turn that off. You know, someone asked me this week, they said, well, if we take the Word of God literally, then the next alcoholic I run to that's living out in the street, I should just give him everything I own. And my answer to that is, is that the most loving thing to do? I mean, if you were that person, I mean, I mean even if you just handed him a thousand bucks, I mean, you've you got to put yourself in his shoes and say, what's the most loving thing someone could do for him? Give him a thousand bucks so he can stay wasted another month? It's probably not the most loving thing to do. I mean, if that were you, if that were me sitting on the street and I had, had just made a mess of my life, what would I want someone to do? I'd want someone to come up to me and actually talk to me like a human being. You know, or wait till I sobered up or something, you know, and try to get across to me, you know, my responsibility in my life. And, and then if I needed some help to get started, then yeah, I would want them to help me get on my feet. You know, but, but, but get me serious about this thing. Wake me up. Help me to figure out why I'm on this earth. See, that's a larger commitment even than just giving the money. It's about loving. That everyone I run into to think, okay, I've got to love this person like myself. A lot harder, isn't it? Because it involves everything about us. And we can't separate our finances from that. We love people with our finances, with our possessions, with our time, with our heart, with our prayers. Everything. And that's God's command. So that's how you love your neighbor. But how do you love God with your money? Because okay, remember that in this series, this whole idea is, is that all you've got to do is just love God and love people. Right? That's, Jesus simplified it. I mean, it's not that complicated. It's hard to do, but it's not complicated. Just, just love people, and you'll figure out what to give them. You'll figure out what to do for them, how much time to spend for them, with them. You, you just, just love them. But how do you love God with your money? If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, first book in the New Testament. I just want to read a, a few verses to you. Start Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. Just listen to these first three verses. It says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Okay, I just want to stop there. Because I, I, I want you to imagine this. He, he talks about a day. This isn't a story. This is, this is reality. He says, when the Son of Man comes, when Jesus Christ returns. Okay, Jesus Christ, He came. He came in the form of man. He humbled Himself. But He says, when He returns, it says, He's going to return in His glory. Okay, that means God in all of His brilliance. When He returns, and He's not alone, it says with all of His angels. Okay, when you read Revelation 5, you, you hear of uh, 10,000 times 10,000 angels, 100 million angels. Okay, so picture, picture right now, the Son of Man coming down with 100 million angels behind Him, and He sits on a throne with all of His glory. You're picturing that in your mind? That's a pretty awesome moment. 
And then he says he gathers all of the nations, every single individual on this planet, he puts them all in one spot. Every single person, all of us, all of our friends, everyone on this earth, he brings before them. Are you picturing the scene? Jesus on his throne, hundred million angels, all the people on the planet. And then he starts dividing them. You go on my right, you go on my left. And just divides all of these people, however he does it. You guys, this is so intense. I know it's hard to imagine, but so are a lot of things on this planet. And and we don't imagine them until they happen, really. I mean, you you know how we've had a few moments during our lifetimes where something happens on the planet and you go... No way, this, this can't be real. This, this is a movie or something. This doesn't really happen, but you're there and you're just going, oh, you're sick to your stomach, like 9-11. Remember when you first saw it on television or you first heard it on the radio, how you just got sick to your stomach and you just go, I- I'm getting chills right now thinking about it. You just go, there's no way, that didn't just happen, that did not just happen, but you, you live with it and it's there. The tsunami that just happened. I mean, 400 miles of coastline and some places six miles inland just devastated that whole area. You know, over a quarter million people, just boom, it's gone. A quarter million? No way. Yeah, it just happened. And you just go, I just can't believe that just happened. You know that feeling, that sick feeling, multiply that by about a thousand and you've got the return of Christ where you and I are just going to go, it's here. The throne, the angels, every single person on the planet, this is that moment. You're just going to go, no way. I've read about this. I believed, but it's here now. Now, now nothing in life even matters except for this moment. Because that's the way this is going to be. This is reality. What's that going to feel like? I mean, what's it going to feel like as he starts dividing people right and left and, and, he, and he's coming up to you? It's, it's huge. And how does he divide these people? Look at the next verse, verse 34. Once he's divided them, he says in verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, verse 40, I tell you the truth, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Okay, so he looks to those who are on his right. Sorry, you guys, this is just for illustration's sake. But he looks at those on his right. I mean, imagine this. And and biblically speaking, it it seems like there's going to be a lot more on the left because it's, it's a narrow gate that's over here on the right. He looks at the few over here on the right and he says to them, Hey, you guys are blessed. I mean, what a moment. He says, my Father is going to bless you. 
In fact, there has been a reward for you, this kingdom. Before we even made the world, he says, we made this kingdom for those of you who are really going to follow me, and you get to inherit it now. That's huge. What a moment. And, and he says, and you know why I'm giving this to you? It's because you gave so much to me. He goes, when I was hungry, remember you guys fed me. When I was thirsty, you guys were the ones that gave me something to drink. You gave me clothes. You visited me. You loved me. And so, you know what? Let me show my love to you. And then it says that the righteous answer, wait, Jesus, I, I never saw you hungry. I mean, thanks, but I never saw you hungry. You know, I never even saw you on the earth. And Jesus says something so significant. He says, whatever you did for the least of these, you've done it to me. When you helped her, that was me. That's such a profound statement because this is one of those areas where God says, it's not about loving God and loving your neighbors. He says, by loving your neighbors, it's the same as loving me. When you care for the poor, you're caring for me. That's huge. And he says, because you've done that for me, you guys are going to inherit this amazing kingdom. You guys are going to be stoked forever, for all of eternity. Because of what you've done for me, I will never forget it. What a moment. Now, when you read that passage, one of the thoughts that comes to your mind is, well, wait, it sounds like then that's how I earn my way to heaven. It's by giving to the poor, right? I mean, if this were the only passage of Scripture that you had, and that's all you read, that's what you'd believe. Now, we know from the rest of Jesus' sayings and the rest of the New Testament that salvation does not come by works. We can't earn our way there you know that salvation comes through true belief. Salvation comes from believing that Jesus really did die on the cross for you and really believing that He really did rise from the grave. It's confessing with your mouth that Jesus really is Lord, right? It's by grace you are saved, by faith, not by works so that no man can boast. You did not earn that. But the thing is, also the Scriptures teach that if you really believed, there would be actions in your life. Okay? It, this is such a huge truth in the New Testament that the person who really believes, it means nothing just to say, oh, I believe in Jesus. It's about your actions. Your actions will prove your belief. That's why like in, in 1 John 3, the question is asked, 1 John 3:17. it says, if you, have, if you have material possessions and you see your brother in need, but you have no pity on him, how can the love of Christ be in you? See that? See that question? He's saying, look, if you have stuff and someone else is in need and you don't, you don't have any pity on them, he says, how can the love of Christ be in you? See, the love of Christ, I mean, what did Christ do for us? Christ came to those who were helpless. We were helpless, right? Uh, Ephesians 2 says we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We could never earn our way to heaven. We didn't, we didn't have it in us to be these good people that loved all the time and obeyed all the commands. We were, we were dead. And he says, you know, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to give to you. I'm going to impute righteousness into you. I'm going to pay for your crimes and I'm going to make you holy in the sight of my Father. He gave that to us. And he says, if you have that type of love in you, then you in turn are going to help those who are helpless. It's a, it's a natural result of your salvation. This is, not, this is not about being saved and earning your way to be saved. He said that if you're truly saved, these things are going to naturally come through you. This is what the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you to do. You're going to love other people. You're going to care for them. Otherwise, how, how can you say the love of Christ is in you? 
I, I do think it's pretty huge that in this passage, the one thing that divides the two groups is their love for the poor. That's all Jesus mentions here. That shows me that that's a big part of our, our, uh, our Christian life. That's a, that's a big part of our, our fruit as Christians. The way we're characterized. You know, it's interesting because I, I ran into a guy I graduated from a seminary with who's been helping in the inner city ministries and, uh, you know, and helping serve the poor. And, and we're at this conference and he, he says to me, he goes, Francis, how did we miss it? He goes, how in the world did we get through four years of Bible college, three years of seminary, and we could care less about the poor? I said, I have no idea. Just somehow we can read this book and you know, get all this knowledge and then miss the main point of it. I mean, Jesus says, that's what a Christian is. That's how I can, I, that's how I can tell the difference. These guys take pity on the poor. They actually do something. These people don't. That's such a big deciding factor. And then it gets real intense because he says in verse, verse uh, 41, look at this. He says, then I'll say to those, he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So then he says to those on his left, he goes, hey, you guys, depart from me. I, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. You depart from me. And you now are going to enter into an eternal fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. Now people say, oh, Jesus never talked about hell. No, he just talked about an eternal fire that, you, that was prepared for the devil and his angels that you're thrown into. I mean, it, this, is, this, is, this is sick. I mean, literally, this is just sickening, isn't it? To think about that moment when God looks at the, the larger crowd and says, and you, depart from me. It, it, it's exactly like Revelation describes it. You know, with, 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 I think it's Revelation 10, where the angel eats the scroll. He says, it was sweet in my mouth, but then it turned my stomach sour. It's talking about the end time events, how there's a sweetness to it. Like, like, like those on the right, they, I mean, we look forward to it. And we go, gosh, can you imagine? I mean, to receive that reward and to go, man, you're blessed by my Father. Now you have all these riches. That, that's just such a sweet feeling. But then you, when you internalize it all, there's also this sickening part of Judgment Day where he says, you depart from me. You're, you who are cursed. You're cursed by my Father now. You guys are blessed. You guys are cursed. And you're going to go to this eternal fire. That just makes you, that just makes you sick to your stomach. And Jesus says the same thing to them. He goes, because, you know, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. He goes, I was thirsty and you, you didn't give me anything to drink. And he goes on, and then the people there, they respond and say, Jesus, are you kidding me? I mean, if, if I saw you hungry, I would have fed you. I mean, of course. I mean, if I knew that you, you're the one that determines whether I go to heaven or hell, I, I would have kissed up to you. I would have fed you. I would have given you a drink. I would have given you clothes. But I never saw you that way. Trust me, I would have done it for you. And Jesus says to them, whatever you didn't do to the least of these, you didn't do for me. And then he says he sends them away into, read it, eternal punishment and the righteous into eternal life. Yes, nothing even matters other than this. What else matters? Honestly, what else matters other than are you going to be on the right or on the left? And it blows me away that Jesus would use this area of caring for the poor 
as a distinguishing factor between the two groups. That shows me that as a believer, this ought to be a huge part of my life, that I really do love people, that every decision I make is made based on love. What I eat even, I did, is down to everything, just thinking, okay, if I loved her, what would I take for myself? What would I give to them? I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge burden, and yet it's the greatest burden because you realize once you start loving people and giving to them, that's when you receive joy. That's the way God's commands work. They may seem burdensome at the moment, but then once you start doing them, you realize this brings me more life than anything else on this earth is to care for the poor. It's amazing when you start giving to others how content you become. And you start using a word that you never used before in your life. Enough. Or you go, I've got enough. All your life you're striving for more and more and more. Why? Because you're looking at yourself. You start looking at the poor, you realize, man, I've got more than enough. And suddenly contentment comes into your life. And you see the blessings of God. But the more self-centered and selfish you are, and the more you start pursuing things, the less content you get. It's amazing. It's amazing how much the commands of God bring us life. But again, this isn't about money. It's not about a number. It's about something deeper, which is love. And so I'd like you to pray for yourself. And just give you a couple minutes just to pray for yourself. And what I want you to pray for is love. Say, God, help me to love people because naturally we're selfish. Naturally we just want stuff for ourselves. And Jesus says, okay, you know how much you love yourself? Now love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And that's supernatural. That doesn't come naturally to us. And so would you just take a minute right now, just bow your heads and say, God, help me become a more loving person. Help me to love the people around me.